time is an illusion. Welcome to another episode of AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks, and I'm your host, Ramia Amadhan. The quote from this week's episode right at the top there was from Albert Einstein, and you know, there's a very simple reason why I picked this quote, and that's because we went through the time change. Uh, fall, fall back, and we gained an hour last week, Sunday, and I was thinking, obviously a little bit more deep than that, but I was thinking, how do you feel after this time change? And from there went the question, how about after any time change? The changing of time in your life and that could be some kind of stage or phase some significant timing and it's of course ideal to be adaptable in any kind of uh, changing of time but the interesting part is that change takes time adaptation takes time and as I learn over and over again about adaptation um, it's pretty interesting to learn that it's easier to move with the grain than against it. In other words, let yourself be adaptable. I let myself try, at least, to let myself be adaptable. And that's it. That's where we will move along to the CELA homepage. The Center for Equitable Library Access, they give us three featured titles on their website right on the homepage, celalibrary.ca. And the three titles up there right now are The Winners by Frederick Bachman, and this is a humorous fiction tale. The second one is The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream by Dean Job. True crime for this one. And the last one up there is Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng, multicultural fiction. Over to Nisreen. Nisreen always brings us what's trending and some juicy things to talk about in the audiobook world. Nisreen, this one is a bit of a fight. What's happening? Yeah, it's a juicy story today. So Spotify is going to war with Apple after the Apple Store uh, rejected its big new feature. According to CNN Business, Spotify simply refuses to fork over the whopping 30% cut of its business to Apple. That means that the company cannot sell audiobooks. So Spotify came up with three workarounds, which it believed were consistent with Apple's policies. But they were ultimately rejected after undergoing reviews for the App Store forcing the company to essentially abandon offering its customers an avenue for audiobook purchases in its iOS app. Uh, Ramya, this is this is big, and I, I believe, here's my theory, I believe Spotify is just going to cave in and be like, you know what, here's the 30%. <laughs> 30%. <laughs> here's the 30% because there's so many Apple users, so what are they going to do? This is a big new feature. Yeah, there's no way they're going to get around Apple. And and if they do get around Apple, kudos to them for putting in the biggest fight of their lives yeah. um, to try to change the policy that Apple several years ago had to go through already. Like when other app developers were having the same issue when the App Store was quite new and, um, you know, revenue conversations, yada, yada. They People tried to do it then to get rid of that 30% cut and um, Apple said no no we're not doing anything wrong if you want to use our platform then use it we get 30% now Spotify 
has been pretty feisty with other things, mm-hmm. right? They've been pretty feisty with with censorship. They've definitely kept uh, their stance on a lot of other controversial challenges that they've had. But I'm not sure if they're going to win this fight. So like you said, going back to exactly what you said, they cave in. They get people to utilize this feature, probably gain a ton of revenue from from allowing people to use uh, audiobooks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it's it's huge. I mean, and we... I want to ask you, though. We know that there are a ton of audiobook platforms out there already. You know, you can go and you can pay your way into listening to an audiobook. Amazing quality, great production. Um, do you think it'll make that much of a difference in that front? I think it will. I mean, if it was on Spotify, for example, I would move uh, to Spotify for audiobooks because it's one platform. I'm using music. Mm-hmm. I'm using uh, podcasts. I'm using audiobooks all in one platform. This is just easier to use. I know there's so many other audiobook uh, platforms, but it makes a big difference for listeners. Unifying, so that right? Yeah. At the end of the day... They're going to make money out of it. So even if they, you know, cave in that 30% that they're fighting for, um, I think they're still going to make money. And at the end of the day, I feel like that's what matters to Spotify. So cave mm-hmm. in, man. Well, like, it's tough. It's <laughs> Just do it. Just rip the band <laughs> Just do it. You're Just, not going to beat Apple. <laughs> you're not going to beat Apple. Let's be real. It's not going to work. So you can fight all you want. You can be petty all you want. This is not... Yeah. Unless they take it to court and and get different results from the last fight that Apple maybe. had, maybe yeah, maybe they're gonna they're gonna try a little bit. I think they're still gonna fight for a little bit more. But um, who are you rooting for? Mm, I mean, I'm with you on having all my stuff in one place. Spotify is already great for that, and Apple as a platform generally is great for that too, allowing. Um, and, and, you know, creating opportunities for us to just bank all our chips into one spot, right? So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you're, if you're Spotify, you would just grit your teeth in and do it. Now, what is it at the moment where we're just waiting on them because they're saying we refuse to yeah. get 30%? Oh, yeah, okay. pretty much. I'm, yeah. I'm still looking for updates. So we'll, we'll update you next week and see how it is. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But we were excited about this. I know. Spotify. But there has to be put it bumps out there. in the road. Yeah, there yeah, has of course. To be bumps in the road. And there's always. There's always. But I mean, the next question is if they do it, where are they going to pull their audiobooks from? Do they have mm. dedicated personnel taking care of brand new content, brand new everything? Or are they pulling from distributors already out there? Because then are people going to answer the same way we did and and move over to Spotify? Or will they say, oh, it's the same version on Amazon's Audible and we're just going to stick to that platform? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's tough. It is tough. Well, we'll keep posted on this news, though. Thanks for the trending. Thank you. We will be checking in with Sarah Hillis. She brings us Know Your Narrator. And this year, in October of 2022, we lost one of the great narrators of our time, Dick Hill. So Sarah's going to tribute this month's Know Your Narrator to him in his 30-year vocal career. This is AMI Audiobook Review.
This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And we're getting into this conversation we have once a month where Sarah Hillis features a narrator for us to talk about, someone from the world of audiobooks, and we shout out the voices behind our favorite listens, getting to know their fascinating backgrounds and their lives a little bit. Um, And in these individuals, most recently, one of them passed away in October 2022. We lost one of the greats, Sarah. Who are we featuring today? Well, today we're featuring Dick Hill and those who have uh, listened to the Harry Bosch and the Jack Reacher series is done by Brilliance Audio, I believe anyway, will know Dick Hill's voice. He's been doing them for quite some time, uh, I think since the early 2000s, and he retired from doing them in, I think, 2019. So, wow. Okay, that's that's pretty great. Now, he's done a lot more than just those series, but I was thinking... Um, because we're not playing any samples of narrator voices, but in this tribute, it'd be lovely to start with maybe your idea of his voice, a description. Well, it's interesting. It's it's kind of, in a way, it's a bit bombastic in a jolly kind of way, and yet he can do, he can do um, action scenes very well. And and uh, I first encountered him on my very first audible purchase actually i in fact it was my free book that you get when you join nice i i wanted to read this book i still haven't finished it it's thomas pynchon and he's just so wow it's so big it's called against the day and i think it was recorded in 2007 or something but i got it in 2013 and so dick hill was my first audible um downloaded narrator i suppose one can say uh so that's kind of neat to to think about um, uh-huh. He's able. To, he's able to. Uh, he's got a deeper voice, I would say. Um, very, I guess, authoritative. He's able to uh, vary his style between um, d- different styles of narration. Like in Against the Day, it starts off as this sort of young people's adventure story with with the, these balloonists, you know, trying to break a balloon record or whatever, you know, in the 1900s. And then it goes to be a detective story and he has to, he has to create these uh, gritty kind of characters. And it, it, it just changes all the way through the book and, and he's able to roll with it. I think that's mm-hmm. one of his strengths. I'm definitely curious about the kinds of things he's read, not just what he's been popular for, but what he enjoyed um, reading. Now, you said you never finished this book. Was that based on the narration? Have you? Oh, like, no, nothing to do with okay. Dick Hill at all. It's just that I've, okay. wow, Thomas Pynchon is, it was my first ever Thomas Pynchon book. And I was like, holy gosh, this is, this is, this is big. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I enjoy Russian literature. So that has to tell you something. No kidding. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe you'll continue reading it, you know. Yes. Um, but so what kind of narrator was he? And I'm not talking about, you know, the uh, the the kinds of books he narrated, but did he describe himself as a narrator? Yeah, I think he he really owned that calling uh, when he found it. He he was an actor in regional theater. I don't even quite know where cuz his his bio is very sparse online. Hmm. Uh but uh, I think it was in the, you know, like New York, New Jersey, New England kind of st- spots of the world and he had heard about brilliance audio looking for um a narrator to do um a world war ii type 
book. And he thought, oh, maybe I could do that. So he used what he called a crappy tape recorder <laughs> in his closet. <laughs> and like he recorded it in his closet and he, he did a sample. And on that sample, they, they took him for the book. And, uh, you know, this was in the mid 90s. And so he is um, an interesting guy in that he, he really, even when doing his theater, he really enjoyed rehearsing more than doing the actual performances because oh. he, he really enjoyed looking for the character that he was going to play and, and how he should do it and, and the creativity of, of discovering that. And so when he did, did narration, he said it was... Um, it was really awesome because he had to look for, you know, a hundred characters or 10 characters or a whole bunch more characters than just one. And so for the preparation again was even more interesting because it was this element of discovery. He said, mm. he always enjoyed discovering, you know, the, the new people that he had to create for the, for the sound of the book and stuff like that. And uh, the new yeah. sides of the new people, I guess, or yeah. even if it's the same people, it, yeah. It's newness to it, right? It's kind of like re-listening to a song um, over and over again and finding new elements of it because, you know, we put stuff we love on repeat, but it's not, you're not listening it to the it the same way every time you hear it. No, it all depends on your mood and your, you know, your yeah. environment and stuff like that. Interestingly, he said uh, in an interview I read, he said that he was a very visual narrator, so he when he read the book to prepare, he would imagine the scenes in which the book is taking place so that he could really see, you know, what the characters are doing and what he's doing or what the narration is supposed to do in the scene. So even, even to, if you're in the same environment, but you're in a daytime scene and then you're in a nighttime scene, he said he felt he should change his narrative style for, huh. for, for settings like that. I've never really heard of a narrator narrating for setting before. I'm very curious about that. Like, was he building the setting in his mind? I'm thinking more like film, right? Where you set the tone, set the mood, and then place the characters there and you say, all right, here's here's where you're at. And it's almost like he was creating that in his mind to get a, a full picture of what was happening. Yeah, he felt that that helped him to enter into the book more fully. He said he did it mostly for him, but he also did it for um, the, the reader as well. He hoped it would help the reader. Um, he wasn't quite sure if it did, mind you, but he, he thought <laughs> it did. Um, and it's interesting that he's such a visual narrator because when he when he retired in, I think, 2018, 2019, after about 30 years and narrating over a 1,000 books in that time, uh, he said all he wanted to do was paint. He he wanted to take ah. up his his passion of you know art, and he said he slept and woke up and he just dreamed in painting. Like that's what he wanted to do. So, I guess the visual he'd always had this visual element to his his imagination. I guess it's fascinating, right? Because it's such an auditory, like an obviously auditory medium, uh, narrating for an audiobook, um, but he's using such a visual process to get there. And and I guess it's the same thing for the listener. Like if you're a, a very visual learner, um, still consuming audiobooks, you might be doing it in such a visual way. Yeah, I think I've heard a lot of people tell me, you know, that when they read audiobooks as a person with sight, they they do. They they think about well, what does the leather armchair feel like? Right. Or, you know what? You know that kind of thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, so did he end up painting after his um, retirement? 
he did. He, he sort of jokingly said, you know, I, I'm, I'm contented to be an amateur, but if anyone wants to buy it, I do get a bit of a thrill when they, when they decide to buy one of my pieces. Uh, but he, he didn't really do it for, for a profession. He just wanted to be creative. He was just a, an enthusiastic amateur. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Um, now, you talked about like him having this perception of of changing visuals right to to be able to change the way that he's interpreting the characters did that also help him with his actual vocals like vocal style while the the narrative or the the visuals are changing in his mind um yeah he's he says it did i can't think of an example in my own reading of him per se between say day and night for example but right but but i think he used yeah he used the idea of the characters especially to form you know how they might speak that's what a lot of uh narrators do of course they they either you know think of someone they know or or they think of you know what it maybe reminds them of a like somebody might remind him of a Woody Allen, so they might want to talk more like mm. Woody Allen a little bit, or you know something like that. A lot of them say that. So yeah, he uh, he's able to. I mean, he's even narrated romances, which you kind of think of as female narrators more often. At least I right. do. Um, uh, and but he apparently, according to a, an audio file review, I believe it was, he's he was able to do women in a convincing way. He just he could suspend the reader's disbelief and go and realize women and and sometimes that's hard for for men to do i think for male narrators to do yeah and i mean don't get me wrong there are so many incredible narrators out there who are, are able to flip back and forth between all kinds of characters and gender identities and all of this stuff too um and doing so well but to be so uh conscious of that is pretty fascinating how about the pacing like you talked about the um you know, the mysteries and thrillers, right, that he's very much known for, which I'm assuming has a lot of back and forth between dialogue and buildup and then, you know, various action and fast-packed scenes. Yeah, he has a pretty good sense of pacing from what I can say from my own experience. He He's able to, uh, he was able to, I can't say it in the past tense, it's so hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he was able to... Um, you know, do a nice flowing style for a, for a slower passage and then get a little more clipped, you know, for the action scenes and uh, that sort of thing that a lot of narrators will do as well. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking of last month when we talked about Jim Dale and his background in comedy, right? Like in so much of that comedic style coming off, coming through to his uh, narration style. It, anything like that with Dick Hill? Like, did he have did he have performance or thoughts about comedic narration? Uh, I'm not really sure if he considered himself a comic narrator. I mean, he, he has, he has narrated a lot of humorous books. Has he? Uh, okay. he's, he's narrated Dave Barry and other okay. humor writers. So I think, yeah, I think he certainly would have brought his acting skills to bear on those as well. And I think he could do it well. He's got this, as I say, it's almost a sort of a jolly voice in a certain way. Except he can still pull it out for the, the thrillers and the mysteries, uh, too. Like it's I don't know. It was this. I can't even describe it. It makes me think of a certain kind of character, but I can't really describe what, what I mean. But yeah. it's just, yeah, it's kind of a neat that's, voice. That's the magic, right? 
<laughs> yeah. That's the magic. They can only do it. We can't do it like him. Now, what did he think about? He said something about the pay of being a narrator. Yeah, he he really <laughs> did feel that once he got on the staff of Brilliance Audio, it it helped. It helped with the money for sure cuz being a regional theater actor, you know, you you only got paid for what you did and it wasn't always steady, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. But you know, he also wrote plays. He's, he wrote even a musical called Boomers, which I guess was about boomers, I, <laughs> I would assume, uh, older people. Um, it was a musical review, actually, so it was just kind of mm-hmm. sketches and songs and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he wrote some play, won a couple of awards for some plays he wrote and uh, other things. So he certainly stayed in the theater game, but just I, I think he didn't do as much acting once he found the narration job. Wow. And he had some work experience uh, and partnership with his wife. Yeah, he considered his wife his favorite actress of all time. Oh, that's uh, lovely. Susie Breck, if you know her. I don't think I know her as a narrator, but people might know Susie Breck. Um, uh, she's she's a, a, an accomplished um, audiobook director as well, so she has directed Dick in a few things. And he did say something funny about uh, messing up uh, sentences or something and... and it's hard to get them to go back to fix it, but but he he would just sometimes sort of push it and say, "Let's do that again." You know, come on, I didn't do it right. And <laughs> <laughs> he would do that. It's, that it's is, fun hearing about that actually, because you yeah. said Jim Dale would swear on purpose, so they would let him. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he a did. Line. That was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Another interesting thing, I think that audiobook narrators, they all come to this at this point and at some point in their interviews, and they say, like we really have something to bring to the table, right? We, mm. we aren't just a voice reading words. And so Dick said the, the really good authors were always happy to let him run with their books and, you know, do what uh, he thought was best. And they would give them, give them ideas maybe, or, or, you know, help them to find the character that they needed. But, but he, he thought that the, the hacks, as he called them, <laughs> were the ones that would really try to micromanage and say, this is how I want my book to be read. And you have to do it exactly this way. And, and he felt that the narrator, as I say, isn't just a voice reading words on a page. They're actually an artist as well. And they have something to bring to the table of making this book come alive in audio form. And I think that was just an interesting thing to, to hear, you know. Yeah. And in both sides of that too, you know what? Why some authors find it so difficult to do that, and other authors who are like, "Hey," and and of course we have our own perceptions on why that could be. But really, um, if you have any say in who's going to narrate your book, and and you love this person's voice, then I think it's just genuine to leave that creativity up to them, right? Yeah, and most of them do that, and those yeah. that actually have a say, like. I mean, who knows? I mean, when when it gets in the hands of the publishers, who knows who's got what say, right? Like right, by the exactly. time they're editing and everything. Yeah. Like, but yeah. Yeah, but you almost have to release a piece of your art to the narrator because yeah, it, they're all in it together, and and everyone has um, their role. They can, we can even go even further and say, and then when it becomes film, oh no, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, and what's always interesting with the narrators is you don't know what who they mean by the good authors or the the sure. bad authors because they're never going to tell you. They're never yeah. going to tell you because they, you know, it's their job to narrate what they're given, and so you'll never really know. 
Yeah. Except maybe Scott Brick, who was quite a fanboy, and he'll explain, I really like this guy so much. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And sometimes, too, I mean, we want to believe that um, you can hear it in their voice if they really enjoyed and loved reading this book, if they felt they were part of it. Um, But truly, you know, they could be just that good, right? Like over a thousand works. I mean, of course, he's doing an incredible job. Yeah. Yeah. He really liked narrating the Russians, uh, like Dostoevsky and people like that, he said. Oh. That's sort of interesting. He said, I enjoyed working with Dostoevsky as if as if he could actually work with him, you know. <laughs> <I> like, know. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I asked you this earlier too, but um he he really shared his love for narration, for being behind the microphone. Yeah, he he um he he thought once he found this that was kind of what he should do, you know, it was kind of his vocation or his thing he should be doing with the next part of his life you know and so he threw himself into it well that's nice and and just more a little more on um how noticed he is and and all the different accolades he's received well they won three oddies several earphone awards these are books that just they just give out earphone awards like every every month or two on audio files so the, the books get the get the award i guess um for the narration and uh, so he won three three audies. He won the earphone awards. He uh, he's a golden voice, of course, of Audio File Magazine. Um, I do believe. And uh, yeah, just he, he he won some awards for his drama work, as I said before. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Over a thousand books in a thirty-year career. Sarah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for featuring him. Um, you know, this is a great tribute. To the late Dick Hill, and we appreciate Know Your Narrator every month. So, looking forward to the December edition. Yeah, who knows what it's going to be? Exactly. We'll know. We'll know soon. Thank you so much. Sarah Hill is joining us on AMI Audiobook Review, and that's the wrap for this week's episode. And until next week, happy audiobook listening. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.